in this episode, I share an email that I received from an existing client who's kind of wandered off, purchased policies elsewhere, determined that he's made a mistake and would like to come back and, and seek help in reconciling potentially his mistakes. Um, I've seen a lot of value in this is why I chose to share it. I don't know who the individual is yet. And, and I chose to record this podcast before I knew who the individual was, right? So I wasn't jaded in my conversation with you. Okay, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Bank of Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery. Going to do something a little bit different today. Um, I received an email that was quite touching the other day, and it's really an anonymous email from a client of ours, okay? And it's very interesting. There's a lot here. I'm not trying to put them on blast. I'm not. It's, it's, it's they're going to remain anonymous, okay? But I think there's value here, and this is why I want to share it with you, okay? So the email comes in in the form of a question from concerned IBCer. Hello, Mister Nethery. I'm a client of yours with a policy from a particular company. Since starting my first policy with you, I enthusiastically spoke with other life insurance agents from the Infinite Banking Concepts practitioners list. So the list of practitioners at the NNI, right? And mostly out of curiosity to see what's different and what's the same with how uh, another agent might design a policy. Now, isn't that the FOMO, fear of missing out, the pasture may be greener on the other side of the fence. I don't know. But I think this might be common in the infinite banking footprint. I mean, I hope it's not common within, you know, our clientele. But we receive, um, you know, uh, requests and emails from practitioners, small p, you know, people practicing the infinite banking concept. And maybe they've worked with someone in the past or they're currently working with them. So I think that there, some of this goes on, you know, more than maybe most agents want to uh, acknowledge or maybe more than they're aware of. Okay. So, you know, he's looking to see how other agents might design, you know, policies different and maybe their process is a little different, whatever. I eventually spoke with a great salesman who set me up with another policy and my wife with one as well. These whole life policies have convertible term as well. I have since converted to where my wife now has three policies, and I still have one with you, and I have one with the other agent. So there's five policies, right? He started with us with one policy on his own life. Okay. My concern is that I've mistakenly bitten off more than I can chew. I wish I hadn't made these other policies with this other agent, and that I just kept making them with you. I think I have too many policies. The convertible term increased my ability to contribute to the policies beyond what I initially initially, initially thought would be comfortable to handle. Now think about that. So there's a policy designed. There's a good salesman. Um you know it works because you have one policy, and I'm, I'm you, this individual, and the listener, right? You've got a policy. You know it works. Grass may be greener on the other side. Fear of missing out. You engage other good salespeople. You buy more policies, uh, and and I'm not saying you always wind up with more than you know. You, you bite off more than you can chew, but 
the policy was designed in such a way that he's uncomfortable from the beginning um, the, for his ability to handle that premium was beyond his comfort zone from the beginning. That's a red flag. Okay. I have to work way too much overtime to make the PUA contributions. And PUA is premium. When you send the life insurance company money, it's either a premium or a loan repayment. Now, the premium may be applied to the paid up additions rider, PUA, or a portion of it may go to the base whole life policy or other riders, term riders, you know, and various other riders that you can put on a life insurance policy, but it is still premium to the life insurance company. This is not a contribution to a retirement plan. Okay. Um, just for clarity. Okay. Um, I also like the uh, company that we put him with. I'm not naming companies here. Okay. Um, he, he, he likes the company that we put him with. He likes their website and the customer service much more than the other company. Um, your business. Our business is also much easier to contact than his as well. He's a nice guy, but I think he was too motivated to sell me more policies than I'm prepared for. Yeah, I, you said it. I, I don't. I only know what is in this email, um, but I'll probably agree with you. I don't know. We'll see. Okay. I don't know what to do. I'm spending too much time at work, and it's stressing my wife out, who is at home with our four young children. Now, just chew on that a minute. This young man with a young family has got to go work a ton of overtime to be able to pay the PUA premium, which is a, a, a contractual right that you have. It's not an obligation. You know, and I don't want to speculate too much, but... You know, it sounds to me like there's a base premium, but then to, you know, uh, above that is a PUA and you got a PUA premium and you have to work overtime to do that. Of course, it's going to stress your wife out. Now, let's let's talk about that for a minute. The number one uh, cause of stress is really financial stress. If you think about it, right? what's the most stressful thing that the average American has going on in, in, in their life that's continual? I understand that there may be sicknesses and illnesses within the family or extended family, but financial stress is real. Right? And the infinite banking concept was never created, envisioned by Nelson Nash to put a family in a position of stress, right? where you're obligated to go exchange more of your time away from your family to generate income to pay a PUA premium. Now, there's no question that you got to have income to pay a premium. If you have no income and no cash flows, you have nothing to pay a premium with. But to be put into a position, whether, and I'm not saying he was forced into this position by the great salesman. I just want to make a point that this is not infinite banking to put you in a position where you have to go work overtime to come up with a PUA premium, yeah, I agree. You're probably paying too much premium, okay? Just another red flag. And you want to stress your wife out and spend time away from your four young children? All of those are hard no's. I mean, when the, you know, the ox is in the ditch, you know, you got to do what it takes. But just to make a PUA premium, you've got to work overtime? Yeah, I'm not interested. Okay. 
you said, speaking to me, that you would happily buy policies from someone, and and I am a buyer. I buy life insurance. <clears throat> and the disclaimer is it's not good for the seller. The life insurance companies look at you as if you're selling your mortality, and if you're answering health questions or application questions on a life insurance application, honestly, they're not going to give you coverage. If you've sold a previous policy, they're not going to give you new coverage. Right, because when you do that, then you're tra- you're you're crossing over the concept of insurance, right? Which is tax free for a reason. The death benefit it's a replacement of a loss, right? The death benefit of a life insurance policy. If I sold my policy to anyone else, right, especially when there's no insurable interest, then I'm crossing over to an investment. Somebody's buying that for a return, not for a loss. Because if I bought a policy from you and you graduate. There's no harm to me. I don't know you. If you're a client, you know, God love you. God bless you. I love you. But I'll get another client. I'm, there's no insurable interest there, right? So then it becomes an investment. And it also changes the tax treatment of the death benefit. I'm just saying, yes, I'm a buyer, but it's not good for the seller. Okay? Okay. And then he goes on. I know that it's inefficient to close a policy, but it would be a relief to me to drop one. Um, would you help me improve my situation? And and I'm inclined to say yes. I believe I can help everyone. I mean, I'm you know just that egotistical or whatever. I believe that I can better everyone's position. These policies have made me realize that maybe I'm just not entrepreneurial enough to practice IBC, which I even hate that the young man makes that statement. So you do not have to be an entrepreneur to practice the infinite banking concept. The infinite banking concept is who controls the banking function in your life? Who controls banking as it relates to you and your family? You don't have to be in business. You don't have to be an entrepreneur. You've got a family. Oh, my gosh, four young children. I can't imagine the need of capital in your family, right? Start there. I mean, you don't have to be entrepreneurial. I just hate that uh, you feel that you're not entrepreneurial enough to practice IBC, when in fact, you do not have to be an entrepreneur to practice IBC. I mean, if you, the more entrepreneurial you are, the more opportunity you have to control more of a banking function, potentially. I'll keep reading. Okay. I don't know what to do with the cash value. And that's kind of a painful statement to read as well. It's like, you don't have to do anything. The cash value is going to go up every day. While we're talking right now, your cash value is going up. And it goes up 24 hours a day, seven days a week, even on Sundays when the markets are closed. Now, I know that you know there's trading that goes on around the world, but you don't, Okay. You don't have to do anything, you, but your wealth, your money must reside somewhere. This is a great place, potentially, for your money to reside. It's not going to, you're not going to improve your policy by the mere fact of borrowing against the cash values, okay? Because when you do that, the insurance company is going to charge you an interest rate, and rightly so, Um 
so the, I'm just pointing out that the fact just because you borrow and repay, borrow against the cash value and repay that loan does not improve your policy. It's the idea of putting additional quote unquote interest into a policy on a loan repayment that accelerates because you're paying more premium. Page 58 and becoming your own banker. Okay. I have one loan that I used to pay off a car note. Perfect. You're married. You're young children. I see four or five cars in your future. Now, I don't know how old your children are right here. Okay. Um, I don't know what to do with the cash value. That's a solid, painful statement to read. You don't have to do anything. Opportunities appear. It becomes apparent if you're searching for how to put your capital to work, you know, it's like take a deep breath, just pay a premium, but don't, you know, buy off more premium than you can chew. I get that. Watch it grow. The opportunities will come with four children. Man, I see potential dental, orthodontics, education. Um, I don't know, vacations. There's lots of things that you can do with your capital. It doesn't always have to be, you know, cryptocurrency or, you know, Bitcoin, you know, gold. And so I'm just saying you're financing an awful lot of things right now with a family of four young children. Okay. Let's see, I have heard that you can never have too much money in the bank. I agree, you cannot have too much money in the bank. But if you have to trade your soul to get the income, I mean, is that worth it? I don't know. Okay, but I have to keep contributing or paying a premium, and that has become exhausting. Yes, policies are designed for you to pay a premium. They are designed to receive premium. Unless you have a 10 pay, a 20 pay, or you've reduced paid up you've done a premium offset you've made the policy values pay its own premium from some point forward other than that these policies are absolutely designed for a premium to be paid period now on a proper design of a policy you can create a seven pay a 10 pay a 15 pay a 20 pay 25 pay a 30 pay or paid to 100 right so I know that in the infinite banking footprint, you know, there's a lot of opinions out there about design that, you know, you spend too much time in design, you get into the weeds and all can. No, design is important. All right. And the higher base premium you pay, the better off you'll be in the long term. My opinion. Okay. But you still have to have a PUA. You have to have the ability to pay a premium. Right, you don't want to build a great big policy, overbuild a policy. I mean, what good does that do? Nothing, because now you're in you're in a situation. This young man is in a situation where I don't know what to do. I can't keep them all, right? And so you don't want to be there. Okay, so it's okay to start slow and build methodically on purpose with intent. Okay, um, which is our my preferred method. Can you take over my policies as an agent and my wife's policies? Well, potentially, let me speak to that. You know, um, there's a writing agent is a writing. Whoever wrote the policies, they're the writing agent. And then can the can a new servicing agent, you know, take over a policy? Yeah, that implies their service, right? Okay. Um, but I would have to be appointed with these other companies and I happen to be appointed with both of the companies that you reference here um, but if you had policies with a company that I'm not appointed with then there's no way unless I went and got a contract as an agent to represent that company that I could become a servicing agent however I don't have to be an agent of record or a servicing agent 
I think that I, I'm just bold enough to believe that I can show you how to manage policies correctly, right? So um, there is a way, okay? I would prefer that you be my sole agent on all of the policies rather than have two agents. And, you know, this idea of diversity in the big wide world, well, I've got I want a policy with this group because they're really good. And I want a policy with that group because they're really good. Maybe they write for two different companies or four different companies. So I get diversity in companies and I get diversity in, in agents. You know, that may sound good and it may sound good on a podcast or may sound good in theory. You know, most agents don't really work well with each other. And I'm just saying as a general rule, I think in the infinite banking footprint, that's a lot different. That might not be the case. Um, you know, it doesn't make sense to me that you'd want, you know, two professionals in the same field. Like if you go to an attorney and there's an estate planning attorney, perfect. Maybe there's a business attorney. You know, they're, they're, they're both attorneys, but they're doing different things, right? So um, you wouldn't want two estate planning attorneys unless they're from the same office. In my, I mean, it's just the way I'm thinking. So I don't think it's necessarily good to have two different agents. Is it the end of the world? No. It, can they work together? Yes, if they choose to. I, my philosophy is anyone who, look, there's a seat at the table for everyone who has the client's best interest in mind, right? But when you get a bunch of professionals at the table, you know, the attorney wants to question the CPA, the CPA wants to question the, you know, the investment advisor, the investment advisor wants to question the, uh, the life insurance guy and the life insurance guy wants to question the PNC insurance agent, you know, and then the brother-in-law and the son-in-law, they want to question everybody. So can it work? Yeah, it can work, but it can also be very simple, right? If you're working with somebody who is, who is efficient, sufficient, educated, um, and, and provide service is available. You like them, you trust them, you're comfortable with them. Why would I go look for another agent for diversity? You know, you diversify and I get it, you know, in the investment world, diversity, 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 you can over diversify, right? And let me just say this, in my humble opinion, you diversify when you do not know what to do. Okay. When you know what to do, you concentrate, all right. Um, okay. I'm not saying that I'm against diversity or uh, you shouldn't diversify in your investments and holdings and things. Um, you know, and owning more than one life insurance company can be appropriate. You know, every situation is different. But to buy another life insurance company's product just so I can diversify is, uh, I don't necessarily agree with that. Okay. Okay. He goes on. I am overwhelmed with whole life policies. That is that is not uh, what Nelson had envisioned at all. Um, that is not what the NNI and I don't. I'm not speaking for anyone other than me. Uh, you shouldn't be overwhelmed with whole life policies. You have bitten off more than you can chew. Someone has helped you down the path. They didn't, you know, uh, and I, I don't want to, I don't know the, actually I do know all the agents and all the companies involved here. Okay. But I don't want to disparage any of them, but it's like, we're not going to help you make a mistake. You know I mean? I'm as optimistic as the next guy. 
you got a young man, father of four, stay-at-home uh, spouse, it sounds like she's at home, and everybody's stressed out because dad's got to be at work coming up with PUA premium. Who helped them get in that position and why? Um, and, you know, it's, sometimes you just got to say, no, thank you. Right. Okay. Okay. I'm not even sure that I want to keep what I have. And my initial, and then he gives a big history, a great path of how he even got to the infinite banking concept and how he even got to our office. And it all started with his search and learning and uh, introduction to Murray Rothbard. Um, okay. And it was very, I mean, very genuine. The whole, this whole email is very genuine. Said, I have I've been listening to your podcast more lately, and I'm more convinced I should have stayed with you. I just finished your recent episode with Barry Dyke, and my other agent has a podcast too, but it's boring. Heck, I'll even tell you who they are and where he works and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, and then he goes on that, you know, he, he sees the connection that I had with Nelson. Um, he's very complimentary of that. And, um, you know, he gets, he's received some misinformation. Um, anyway, okay. He goes on to say, I mean, it's all good. They're all, you know, he's just explaining and they're all, it's all positive. He goes on to say, I'm a bit ashamed and worried that you'll reject my request and just say, well, you found someone else. Good luck. And you know what? That happens more often than not. Like I said, we receive a lot of contact and uh, you know, throughout the week, day after day, you know, and I've had clients tell me, it's like, James, um, you know, I explained to my current agent that I wanted to take out a policy with you and, and that current agent who was like a year or two away from retirement in that particular situation told him, he said, well, don't ever call me again. Just call James. And I'm like, you know what, big boy, come on. I'm talking to the other agent. You know, it's like, yeah, if you can't service your clients, I can. Okay. Um, so it's very common whenever, you know, in the in the whole financial world, you know, if you open an account with one broker, that the other broker, you know, is like, take them all, you know. Um, and and two, look, I uh, we have fired clients, you know, and this is if you're an existing client, you know, you're being straightforward and in, in really with a lot of humility here, but a clear and total uh, background and, and, you know, which I greatly appreciate. Um, you know, it's not like you, you came and said, uh, you know, I found out the truth or I don't believe what you've been helping me do is right for us. And this is why, and you're wrong. It's like, man, bye Felicia. Uh, but I would say, don't be ashamed. Okay. I won't, you know, uh, necessarily reject you, but that's, I'm just, let me point out that that's very common in this industry, in the financial world, in the life insurance industry. I think it's less so in the infinite banking footprint. And I, when I say infinite banking footprint, too, in this case, I'm specifically speaking about the Nelson Nash Institute, you know, and the practitioners, the agents that are practitioners, you know, big P. Um, I think that there there can be anyway from time to time. There, there should be, and I hope there is more uh, grace between agents, but that's not always the case. You know, I've lost friends from NNI because their clients have come to me and I took them on as a client and I didn't have the whole story that they were somebody else's client at the time. So, uh, <laughs> I might be rambling on that. I'm just saying it's very common. Like if you do business elsewhere, your current agent or advisor will fire you summarily. Right. 
um, I've done that, but not because they went somewhere else. It's because of the attitude that they came with, which I didn't agree with and I thought was wrong. And it's like, bye, Felicia. Okay. You know, I understand if you said that, you know, great, you found someone else, so good luck. But I'm hoping you won't. And I have no clue how such process changing agents would work or if that can even be done, if it's worth it to you as an agent to even make that effort. And let me tell you, um, it depends on where an agent sees value, right? Um, the way I see this particular situation is you're already our client. You know, I think, you know, you've done some things that you've come to regret. Okay, it's not the end of the world. You know, you made a mess. We can probably clean it up. You know, I think that we can improve your situation. Um my only ideas are to close the policy, let it lapse, right, or sell the policy, stop paying the policy and the premium and let it lapse, or just don't maximize the PUA and miss out on growth, or continue working a lot of overtime until I work myself to death and my wife will then enjoy the policy's death benefits. I'm sure that's somewhat tongue-in-cheek, you know, it made me grin, but it's like, man, that's the worst alternative, Right. Okay. I just wanted to share that. All he goes on to say nice comments. I enjoy your show. I've learned that I should have just stuck with you. I hope this mistake isn't irre- irreconcilable. Um, and I hope you're willing to help me. Okay. It, the, I don't believe mistakes, any mistakes are irreconcilable personally. Right. So um, I appreciate the email. I hope there's value in me sharing this email with whomever we choose to share it with. I don't know if this is going to go out to the general public or just client-only access, um, but I think there's a lot there. So thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.